Welcome to the American Roadrunner Podcast. Yep. Glad y'all could join us here today again on this, the American Roadrunner Podcast. Here we share stories from the road on our two-wheeled motorcycle machines. All tales of spills, thrills, and chills. Good, bad, and ugly from the open road. I'm your host, Bob Marshall, fellow wrencher, rider, racer, and author of the book entitled American Roadrunner. And I'm the co-host, Brian Phillips, and here for the ride. Amen, brother. <laughs> you can find us in a few places. You can uh, email us at American Roadrunner the book at gmail.com. All one word, American Roadrunner the book. Also on Instagram, American Roadrunner. Facebook at American Roadrunner the book. We also have some exciting news coming up from Ride 1K in a Day. If you don't know what that is, please stay tuned and you will be happy to find out. Oh, yeah. Other good, exciting stuff. I got to tell you, we did say American Roadrunner a lot in the beginning. Thank you for running through that, Brian. Just in case anybody didn't hear, the podcast is American Roadrunner. Three I want words. It, I want it to be something like those uh, daytime TV shows for insurance or lawyers or whatever. Stuff like that where the people say the phone number oh, like 10 times. Again, yeah. Cars for kids, you know. Yeah. Well, I don't I don't watch commercials. Yeah, usually. I try not to because then they get stuck in your head just like that. And on this episode, we're very excited to be doing a phone interview with one Mr. Jer Jack from Durango, Colorado. Jer's a fellow stampeder. He has raced the stampede several times with myself. He is a competitor in all things wrenching, riding, and racing. And we're very excited to hear from him. I think our topic today will have to do with motorcycle camping and all the good things that come with it. You know what? For those of you who are just tuning in, maybe for the first time, you might be asking, who is this motorcycle podcast for anyways? That's a darn good question. The answer is, it's for everybody. The trick to anything motorcycles is to understand we did not come home from the hospital on motorcycles, unfortunately. So in our society, there is a small lack of education when it comes to things on two wheels. For all those interested, this is a podcast for you. Yeah, and you know, if I could follow up, if you ride... Uh, already. It, it might even sound, you know, kind of stupid, you know, some of these things that I myself am asking. I am the layman here. I'm the person who knows almost nothing about motorcycles. So I'm here to ask the questions that the person who's never ridden would ask. Well, that's what makes you so cool, though, Brian. I've ridden motorcycles a really long time, and everyone will remind you, I'm not very cool sometimes. I think the last time I rode anything with two wheels was my BMX, and that was... uh when I had my midlife crisis probably about six years ago, I went and bought one, and I was just like, yeah, because I, I loved this movie called Rad, which was all about BMX Oh, racing. don't get me started. I'm the biggest Rad fan. Okay, I'm the second biggest Rad fan you'll ever meet. <laughs> no, I just took a back ride today with my little dude. We cruised on down to the park in the old dump and went uh, riding all through there. It was pretty exciting, although I got to tell you, my legs hurt. But I've got a nice 24-inch bmx back in the back i have a good time with it i've got a few cruisers and stuff too so no i ride bicycles as i can but i'm not as cool as most people when it comes to those those guys like who are pedaling and wearing the spandex and freaking out in traffic like breaking the law and running lights like those are the dirty bikers those guys are way too cool for me <laughs> so uh you know if if you don't like the motorcycle 101 you know please do give us a listen you might learn something you don't know uh but mainly we're, we're reaching out to anybody who is an adventurer looking for an outlet someone who's got passion and wants to 
ride. You may you may be interested in riding a motorcycle, but you've never done it yourself. You don't know who to ask, you know, and sometimes it's kind of scary to ask the big burly guy with the motorcycle, hey, uh, how do you do this? How do you get a motorcycle yeah. and ride it? And it's, it's good that we have Bob, the big burly biker, right here. I don't mind answering questions. <laughs> well, I got lots of questions, and every answer you give me, I will have two more questions. Perfect. And now... We get to the exciting part, a song from the playlist. The playlist you can find up on our YouTube, American Roadrunner, the book, and also on Spotify under our account, American Roadrunner. So this is by Ozzy Osbourne, I Don't Want to Stop, one of my favorite of all times. Definitely one of my favorites. I think this is the first song I actually list in the book. I think it's at the top of the playlist. Um, I know for me, Ozzy Osbourne was a big one. When I was a little dude and learning to play guitar, I had a paper route. So I used to listen to the Ozzy Osbourne and Randy Rhodes tribute album, like Wear Out Batteries and Wear Out Tapes, listening to it on my paper route while I delivered papers at four in the morning back in the day when we had paper boys. Now, this is the later Ozzy, though. This is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, right. it's Zach Wilde as a guitarist, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, which was which was just beyond cool. You know what? When I was, uh, oh, this is going way back. OzFest 1999 is the first time I saw Ozzy Osbourne, nice. and he had Zach Wilde in the band. And I, I was a guitar player, but I didn't know who this guy was until I saw him live for the first time. And this guy's awesome. He's got this long hair, and he's playing this Les Paul that's really low, he's wearing chains, and he had a fan blowing in front of him, so you just right. see his, like, hair Monster blowing. He looks hair. like this Viking that's been taken out of, like, the 1200s and dropped onto Ozzy's stage. So metal. But then So metal. Here we went to see an Ozzy cover band, like, two years ago, and the guy who was playing guitar could have been Zach Wild. I mean, uh-huh. it, it could have been him because it was the same thing. He had this fan in front of him and his hair was going everywhere and he's playing and headbanging. And, you know, seeing that guy, I, I was like, it made me want to be a rock star again. And that was something uh. I gave up years ago, that, that dreaming of being a rock star and being a guitarist. But I see that guy and I'm just like, I can do that. Well, I give Zach Wilde a ton of credit, I mean, to try to follow Randy Rhodes behind Ozzy. For all those young people listening who don't know the story of Randy Rhodes, he was a child prodigy guitar player, one of my favorites as a kid. Unfortunately, he died when he was 20, 21 maybe, in a horrific airplane accident. I think the bus driver flew a plane, tried to buzz the bus, ran into the producer's house. I mean, just horrific story. Luckily, Ozzy was asleep in the bus at the time, and wasn't her, but we lost Randy Rhodes, one of the greatest guitar players of all time, in my opinion. Yeah, if you want to learn more about that, watch the VH1 special Behind the Music. <laughs> it nice, outlines sure. the whole thing. That's why yeah. I learned about it. 
Well, I learned about it from my older sister, who was just a huge fan. So I got the, she was five years older than me, you know. She was the same sister who was like, wake up, there's a new channel on called Music Television, and they're going to play music on the TV. <laughs> and I saw it, and I said, this looks like a NASA channel or something. It's just a bunch <laughs> of astronauts, and it didn't make any sense to me. But, no, those were, I think we're dating ourselves now. We should shut up. No. Nah. <laughs> I'm dating myself. Maybe a little bit. I didn't know you had an older sister. I I've got an oh, older yeah. stepsister, and she influenced my, uh, my my music listening. I mean, she listened to the same kind of like heavy metal music, and I started liking that. And yeah, it definitely influenced me. Big sisters. How about that? Oh, big sisters are great. Yeah, and she, Melissa, that's her name. She don't mind me saying it. She's up in Oklahoma these days with a few awesome squirrely children married. But, uh, yeah, she was, my dad was a big Allman Brothers fan, so she's sweet Melissa. Hey, same Miss here. Miss sweet Melissa. <laughs> my, my, uh, she was my stepsister. She lives in Arizona now, and, you know, she's got a couple of youngins running around. And, uh, Good. yeah, she still listens to that music, and, you know, she's, she's an awesome gal. I'm glad she's my sister. Clicking our coffee cups to older sisters. Clink. <laughs> Next, we're going to have a nice phone conversation with Mr. Jer Jack. All right, I look forward to this. Me too. You know what? Tell me a little bit about this guy. Well, I'll tell you, one hell of a stampeder, one hell of a wrencher, just builds amazing machines. What is the stampede? What is a stampede? Ah, yes, the stampeder. Fellow competitor in that which is the madness, mayhem, and craziness known as cross-country chopper racing, which uh, is kind of what my book is centered around, me racing this cross-country chopper race. The trick to cross-country chopper racing is you can't give a crap about much. You may have to leave your machine on the side of the road. You may have to lower your moral state enough to get through everything you need to get through. Uh, The Stampede has a few basic rules. We'll get into that some other time. But basically, it's a good old cross-country chopper race, and the first one there wins. So last time I did it, I came in ninth out of 60 guys and uh, finished in less than two and a half days. So You know, you kept on calling it chopper now i've heard that term thrown around in the motorcycle community but i don't know exactly what that is i know motorcycles got two wheels but i I hear chopper what is the difference between a motorcycle and a chopper well i think chop is it's it's just the style of bike and um, the last gosh 10 15 years it's really moved around but the idea used to be how much can you chop off of a stock scoot to make it as fast as possible and that includes rear shocks so you end up with a rigid frame and back in the day, a lot of the motorcycles did not have rear shocks. I mean, if you had front shocks, why would you need rear shocks? But mm. eventually they figured it out. So these days, any motorcycle that's chopped, it's missing rear shocks. It uh, is completely stripped down, speedometers, uh, any of the extras, everything but a coffee cup holder, a cigarette lighter, and a phone port charging space is so, legit so basically stripping it down not to streamline it but to make it lighter yeah make it lighter faster okay. I got it's it. doing more of its thing so sometimes we take these home-built rebuilt scoots that we put together and race them cross-country that is a madness known as the stampede very cool you learn something new every day i'm done learning for today so that's <laughs> it. Don't, don't let's get jerry on the else. phone yeah let's hear from the guy jerry how the hell are you brother Good. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. I hear uh, there's some watch shit up there where you live. Yeah, it snowed even a little bit this evening. Really? Like two inches on my way home, yeah. 
And what 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 exactly do you do with all that snow? I just keep shoveling it up higher and higher. Yeah. Like my yard, it's like four feet high in my yard to shovel it out of the driveway, and it just keeps, or I snowblow it, depending on how much I get. You got a snowblowing machine? Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah. You got to, like, restart it every year, get it going, like, rebuild it like Dude, an old I, I just bought a new carburetor for it on Amazon. No actually. way. That's bitching. <laughs> I, I cleaned it once, and it worked for a while, and then I was like, you don't have to do this crap anymore. We're right. In the golden age, man. Right. Order it's it like on. eight bucks, dude. You know, it was like no brainer. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I got to tell you, I got to tell you, we were having a uh, really good round with uh, what the stampede means to all of us. We were hoping to get a good definition from you. What, yeah. What? It's hard to like bottle something like that up, you know, because there was so much intensity like leading up to it. You know, I'd read the magazines and I'd get right. like, super energized and um, I don't know, for, it's a feeling of accomplishment, I guess, for me, because I was able to pull it off, you know, do it multiple times. Yeah, yeah, well, you were so, really rocking it a few times there, that's for sure. Yeah, if I wouldn't have hurt my leg, you know. <laughs> You're right. I pre- you know what, I kind of wish I had got started sooner. Right. You Go. know, I only, I didn't get in until the last four years. Yeah, I think you and me both ran Stampede number seven as our first year, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. No, it was both our first year together. I remember that. <laughs> right, and we didn't know each other. We just met through the Stampede. No, I remember you. Yeah, you know? I think I left you on the side of the road. That's what it was. Oh, yeah. That was the lowest point in my life. Yeah, I, fl- <laughs> I flew by <laughs> it. You just drove by and waved at me with your overalls. Right. Later, losers. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that's, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. I love it. I love it. We uh, we've also had the great opportunity to uh, hop around the country a few times lately together. Yep. Mm. We met up in Arizona what twice last year. I think Two. it was. I think it was more like six or eight times. But yeah. Oh yeah, because so yeah. We met twice in Cornville alone. Right, right. And then uh, Nanako or right. Bisbee. Bisbee. Yeah. Yay for us. Uh, it was great. It was like every other weekend we were seeing each other last year. Dude, it was. There was there was like a two-month period where we weren't even saying bye. We were like, see you next week. Right, you know? <laughs> right. Like, uh, yeah, and Sturgis. Well, that is one strange thing about us and all of us. We rarely say goodbye. We just freaking take off. Later, losers. Yeah, exactly. The, the Irish goodbye. Yeah. Because I'm like, hey, we'll, we'll see you online. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll Call yeah. you on the phone. We used to have a lot more mass texts, too. I used to be in a lot of t- threads with Velarde and all those guys in Washington and stuff. Right. Velarde's in uh, Redoso, New Mexico. Yeah. Yeah, we're kind of... That is a benefit of racing something like the Stampede. We got friends all over the freaking place. Yeah, that was the real win. Right. Like, we got hooked up with a solid group, and we're all on the same leg together. And we could write, like, any of those dudes that did it, like, I would write anywhere with them. Because oh, yeah. I know they could do it because I've seen them do it. Oh, yeah. You know, and they're not going to complain, and they're not going to break down that much. Right. And they know what it takes to do it. You know, so they're not going to take off with some ball tire or something without having a plan. 
Well, our crazy is a little different. You know, that's I think that's the trick that our crazy leads us to push a little harder than the next person. And everyone's always welcome to ride their own ride, but it's going to have to be the understanding that if you've raced a stampede, you might be pushing harder than the next group of people. So it's great to great to ride places yeah. with each other. I, because I, when I'm going somewhere, I'm going somewhere. Mm. Like, there's a fire in me. I don't want to like stop and eat normally. Like I always want to go as far as I can with the fuel that I have, you know, and I'm, right, you know, I'll take a second at a gas station and, you know, figure out what the next 150 miles is. Yeah. So I can just bang that out without stopping, you know, or, or messing with my tunes or whatever I got to do to set it up where, right. you know, I won't have to stop for 150 miles. Well, I did enjoy the last time we took that little hop up. Where were we? I think we were we were just south of Denver, and we were hopping up to Sturgis for that big rally, and we would, like, stop for, like, 10 or 15 minutes. Every time yeah, we, stopped we even took a couple pictures. We even stopped and took, oh, that's right, you were pulling over that's in front of the... That's something we were kind of getting into, how we were like, well, we better snap some for the grams. Right, <laughs> right, right. And we got, we, got the pic, we got the camera phones now, so we can do it pretty easily. Yeah. That's freaking sweet. Although I I was thinking too our great topic for today would be uh camping on a motorcycle. There's a lot of people yeah. who don't do it, but I think you and I have kind of honed the skill. So let's hear Yeah, it is. I've gone through like different phases with my gear. Mm-hmm. You know, in the beginning I was like going as small as I could with backpacking gear. And right. then there wasn't enough stuff to lean up on. And then I was I've lost like like a couple two hundred dollar tents too. And then I was like, I was in these backpacking tents and they were so tiny. Right. You know, like, and then I figured out, it's like, I could carry a two-man tent and it weighs like not even a pound more. Right. And then I have the room to move around in there. and Put your shit um, in there. Uh, so I'm rocking like a two-man tent now. Really? It looks more like a six-person tent. Your tent's kind of Yeah, it's pretty big, huh? That it's like a eight by eight or something like that. It might, it might be considered a four-man tent. Right. I think like, it's considered a four. It's freaking huge. Yeah. But, but it still packs like, up. It, when, it's, when it rolls up, it's it's literally not that much bigger than the one-man, like, bivy-type tents I was using. Right. So, for me, it's like, and two, you know, I've got, the, like, if somebody else didn't put, you know, didn't have a tent, and we right. had to, like, somebody else would double up in there with me if they had to. You've had a few stampeders nice double day. up with you? That sounds kind of perverted. <laughs> That's what you had in Sturgis. You know, it was cool. I was like, you know, the concept of it popping up, but it didn't look pretty spacious. What's that? Oh, the tent that I had, the pop-up mm-hmm. tent? No, it wasn't spacious at all. It was horrific. Uh, it was horrific. I like how it set up, you know, like oh, I, right. I was into the idea, like the technology of it. Right. They but, just didn't make it tall enough. I mean, I'm 6'2", so I'm not going to fit. Yeah. I'm not going to fit at all. No, and you said you've lost a few $200 tents. How'd you lose them? Well, I ha- <laughs> like, yeah. Let's hear. <laughs> There's a rumor that I lose stuff all the time. Like it's, it's like something that people tease me about, but uh, but Yeah. I Yeah, I've gotten better at tying down my loads. I haven't lost anything. Well, I lose I- gloves and water bottles a yeah. lot, but not like I haven't lost any camping gear lately. In a couple of years, but well, I think I yeah. do remember the last stampede. We were walking through the Walmart, and you really stunk, and everybody was making room because you had <laughs> lost your backpack with your clothes in it. 
The Velarde said I was like leaving in breadcrumbs. She's like, I saw pieces of your shit from one side of this country to the other. To the other, right. Yep. Fellow, he's like, he's like I would see some other side of the river. He's like, oh, Jerry's ahead of me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And that's... I don't, I pack light. Like, that's kind of my strategy. It's like, I'm going to pass a thousand Walmart, you know, before I get where I'm going. Like, if I need a six pack of teas, I'll yeah. go in there and. Get them, you know, but yeah, it's funny. When we went to Walmart that time, I bought socks and underwear and everything. Yeah, you were all bent. I was out at it. Filardi, when he's on the road, he just throws his socks away. Yeah, that's a good idea. You buy an eight-pack of socks and just throw them away every day. That's a good (laughs) idea. Go through them. That's Mm -hmm. pretty good. I tend to just wear things for a few days and maybe throw some I don't know, with socks and underwear, I I basically got to, I don't want to get funky. That's you know? funny because I remember telling you, you were like, man, these chonies are freaking expensive. And I'm like, well, just go without. And you're like, no, I can't do that. I'm buying them. It was like a six pack for like 30 bucks. You're like, what the heck? No, They're just underwear. But I was going to like the, oh, something like um, Temperature Tech or something like that. Like, right. <laughs> like Hydro Wick or some crap like that. Like uh, basically like a synthetic silk of some kind. That's <laughs> hilarious. You're wearing silk yeah. chonies all over this country. God bless you for it, I reckon. Yeah, I think uh, the tent thing is absolutely correct. I've learned, too, I have some smaller tents, and they do okay, but I got a uh, six-person tent I've been using lately and a teepee tent, and it does pack down to nothing. And sometimes the poles can get a little long and a little wide, but I've learned to just pack them up with the sissy bar instead of packing them sideways. And that works real well for me that way. Remember last time we were over in uh, we were over in Cornville and it rained for like two days solid, and yeah. Uh, yeah, it was nice to have the big tent to put everything in so everything was dry. Unfortunately, my tent leaked and I had to find a dryer locally in the neighborhood. Oh, it sucked all the high hell. I had to do like four loads to get dry. You know that rig that you have that I liked was that one where you had the air mattress rolled up in the tent and you basically just like plugged your tent in and oh, then yeah. you were. It was like the whole thing was done and like. A minute. Oh, that's you know, perfect. You're like, oh, I'm, I'm done. Yeah. You sleep in, and you slept inside of a building in a tent on an air mattress. Like, oh, yeah. that's right. Down at Narcos. Yeah. Down yeah. Southern yeah, Arizona. that was a couple of years ago. But I remember being impressed with that rig. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's how you do it. <laughs> yeah, if you can roll it all up into one big roll. And that's a three-man tent. And that particular tent, dude, I've used like 20 times. As long If it's just me. Well, my pops and I used it, too, together. Uh, heading up to Sturgis or Yosemite or Bonneville. Like, that poor tent's gotten the piss beat out of it. I've had to wring the oil out of it from, you know, losing oil on a scoot. Dude, that's just waterproofing. Yeah, right. Better (laughs) waterproofing. I've taken it to Texas a few times. That poor tent, I got it sitting over here in the kitchen right now. It's all rolled up and ready for the next adventure. But I've been enjoying the bigger tents the last uh, several months of camping. I think it can be done. I know a lot of people, too, they like to bring, like, food, items, camping. And personally, I just make sure I got an extra stick of beef jerky and some trail mix. But I don't even worry about the coffee. Like, everywhere we go, there's, uh, you know, convenience stores selling coffee or food. or. Yeah, sometimes I'll buy a Red Bull the night before. You know what I mean? Then when I get up, I can just crack one yeah, that's right true. away. We're pretty lucky, too. It seems that a lot of places we go, everyone's got a bit of extra water i know velarde's always buying water by the gallon so anytime i need yeah. water i just ask him he's got it and i'm buying water you know i'm buying those two for two dollar waters on the road so you know what i find the, the, the nice thing about the gallon it's the water seems to stay cooler longer 
Like right. a little bottle, it'll get hot in like 30 minutes or something like that. But a water bottle, like, like a gallon, will stay cool for a couple hours. Yeah, but have you ever tried to drink a gallon out of a gallon jug while yeah. all, while doing 80 down the no. highway on a chop? No, no shocks, freaking jumping all over the place. Yeah. You know, for the, for a long time, I carried a camel back. Oh, how was and, that? And um, I would even pinch it in my the bike the bike valve in my helmet and let it dribble water in my face and stuff. And I did because the first year of the stampede when we crossed the desert, we were spending like an equivalent amount on water as we were on fuel. Sure. Like sure. every time we stopped, we buy two two dollar bottles of water and pound those. Yeah. You know, and we were running like lower capacity at the time, so we were stopping more. But right. But anyways, yeah, that's when I got the camel back, and I just got tired of the hose getting flopped around everywhere. So I ended yeah. up just going back to buying water bottles in the store. Well, I've got all that netting I put up in the front of my scoot on top of the spare fuel cell that I run in front. And so, have you ever put ice up there? Uh, I mean, I have to get from A to B, but not in general. Because everybody's always saying that, like you you tie ice, you know, on your handlebars and and let it melt onto you as you're crossing the desert. But man, I've never done that. That's a good idea. I will throw. No, it's like everybody talks about it, but I don't know if anybody's. Man, I'm, I'm sure it works. That. You know what I mean? Like I'm sure at some level. It's yeah, it's doable. Anyway. Well, I was born and raised out here in the California desert, so it's not a big deal for me to. I mean, I'm used to it. I don't. I know what it means to run through it. I can run through it semi successfully. Although I'll stop every hour, you know, and pound another gallon of water. Well, I'll probably drink half the gallon of water, and then pour yeah. the other half a gallon. So it's funny. Me. You'll drink like a gallon of water, and then not piss. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it's the weirdest thing, but it, it has to be done. Coming back from Sturgis, I came back on one day on the 10, and because uh, I stopped in Cornville uh, there on my way back from Sturgis. And, yeah, it was like 118 degrees at one point. I mean, it's going through uh, Edinburgh and Blythe there and whatnot. I mean, it was just yep. hellacious, and there was hours of Sounds it. Sounds about normal. Yeah, I mean, I could have waited till nighttime when it was only 98 degrees. Dude, I waited point. till nighttime before, and it was like fucking 90. Right. So I was like, this is only slightly better. Just <laughs> slightly. Just slightly, yeah. You'll, you'll, yeah. It's always yeah. I love how there's like call boxes every mile. You know, mm-hmm. I thought about it. It's like if you broke down in the wrong place, you could walk up to a half a mile to get. Right. And some of those are broken too. So oh. you're, you're, like, well, that's they, California for you. It's a California thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. Well, yeah. I, the first time I went to Born Free, like yeah. the first year. Yeah. And um, I was I was not prepared. We we went through there like the way it worked out timeline like like we crossed the desert at like three in the afternoon. Oh, you're gonna die! Yeah, like we were on jet bikes, dude. Like if we'd have been on shovels or something, you know what I mean? Like they'd have just fucking melted. Yeah, they would not have been happy. No. Like yeah, I was on KZ at the time and it didn't miss a beat. Nice KZ one thousand or seven fifty? No, it was six fifty. Oh yeah, yeah, the six fifty. Yeah, that was just that was like the first incarnation of that. 650 but that was a really dynamite motor for me that's oh, what yeah. really turned me on to the to the kz's i've been cb you know since i was like 19 or something you know right. until i got that kz 650 you know the 100 cc is smaller but still like noticeably faster than oh the they haul ass yeah I yeah still, i still have one in the backyard and it and they run in the rain yeah you know what i mean like once i got into kz i was like what was i doing <laughs> that's great and you're let's uh talk about your family history your dad's an old chopper guy 
Oh yeah, yeah. No, I you know I grew up doing it. My dad always had a shop when I was a kid. Yeah. When I was a kid, my dad was like hardtailing anything he could touch. Right. Like there wasn't a shop in my region. You know, when I was a kid, my dad was the man of like Southwest Colorado. Like if you had right that Harley, one guy, like you know, you knew my dad. That's bitching. You know, and it's pretty cool. We're about to go up to the Swami in two weeks. And uh, we always, like, get my dad a wheelchair, and we push him out in a wheelchair. And we, we usually get really good deals on parts because we'll kind of, like, chisel people. And then I just use my dad as a shopping cart. That's great. And I just put everything in his lap and push him around. <laughs> like, uh, that's hilarious. Uh, and that's, but, yeah, the, uh, that's the one up in Denver? Yeah. Yeah, good. Good for you. Yeah, no, I used to take my pops places, and I'd, my pops would be like, yeah, I'll join you. Yeah, it'd be like me and F-Bomb heading up the David Mann show or something. And my dad was like, Oh, I'll cruise with. And I thought, well, that's cool. Bring the dad along. And dude, every freaking fourth, fifth booth, someone there would know my dad. Oh. I was like, what the heck? Like my dad was just that guy. The same thing. He'd just been in the game. Mm-hmm. since basically day one. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like he was there when choppers were like, you know, really kicking off, you know? Right. They were taboo. Only dirty people rode them. You always got yeah. When I was a kid, yeah, that's what it was. It was like the cops and the outlaws. That's the only people that had Harleys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. These days, even straight normal people like us have Harleys. I heard from uh, your brother today. How's What's he that? doing? Oh, he was uh, showing me a uh, uh, an Instagram post that was at uh, I think it was a backshed special backshed. What are they called? What's that? Yeah, answer? backstreet or. Back. We know who we're talking about. Right. I love those guys, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, they had taken a picture of your brother's chop down at EDR, down at the El Diablo. Oh, run. that was the old bike barn. Oh, the old bike barn. Thank you. Old bike barn, yeah. That's who I was yeah, thinking. Yeah, that was, that was cool. You know mm. what I mean? Like, um, uh, that they would repost it like that. They they have a lot of viewers. And I used to buy a ton of stuff from old bike barn back in yeah. the day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I haven't lately, but man, if you needed like a weird carburetor thing for some jet bike, that's, right. those guys got it. You know what I mean? Right. Like they have a ton of vintage Japanese stuff. Yeah, it's hard to keep the old stuff running, but luckily these days with eBay and everything in between, it's a pretty good open market. We're pretty fortunate. Although I suspect people like you and I are real, we've gotten real handy at rebuilding shit wherever we are. Yeah, and I got a ton of parts bikes. So yeah. a lot of time I can just dip into my stash a little bit you know but right. um uh, like like needles right like float needles and seats you know mm. what i mean i gotta buy those right. um, i've been getting pretty lucky past year or so i haven't had too many cars but i've had years where it's like dude, especially with the double over cb750s they had a, a you couldn't change the needle seat and they always leaked and it was like i messed with them because it was Honda's first generation CV. Right, right. And like, I got messed with them all the time and it ne- never seemed to get better. <laughs> right. Well, good on CVs you. These are better carburetors, too. That's the, that's like, yeah, they really are. They're pretty KISS. It's just a few things you can move around in them. So I usually just thin out the main jets and uh, back the needle up one little spacer and good to go. Yeah, yeah. If you mess with the intake, which, like, it's crazy. The stock airbox is ugly, but it's like, it's kind of the best. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's a performance increase to the pods, but it's not much. Right. Usually, you hurt your efficiency more than 
but you got to do it. You know what I mean? You can't run the stock airbox. You know what I mean? Like, no, they're... but I've been drilling out my main jets. I got, you know, drill that kit. Once I've been like raising the needle a little bit, like, um, well, when you raise a needle, yeah, when you raise a needle at full throttle, oh man, we could go on and on about the stoichiometry when it comes to carburetors for days. That's for sure. But we don't want to scare too many people on this podcast. <laughs> I I'm not that super dirty on it. I just get it where it works, where I can stand it, and then yeah. where, it's, where it's all right, and then run it. You know. Well, you got to test it out. As long as you can test it out, I've I've done it a few times. I know it that works for me. That would be the one nice thing about Harley's is there's only one carburetor. Amen. Yeah, I mean, there's a few different models, but yeah, they're all they're all the same. You can go McCuny, you can go S and S, but yeah, I got an S and S on mine. Yeah. Well, cool. Harley hates S and S. He'll like he rails on him, and I'm like, well, I put mine on. It was already jetted to my elevation, and uh, that's all I ever did to it. You know, like I put it on, and that was it. That's funny. Yeah, Charlie, the uh, one of the main instigators of the Stampede, freaking Nomad Charlie, one of our favorite friends. We'll have to get him on the podcast sometime soon. That'd be cool. Yeah, awesome. Well, Jared, thanks for the 411, amigo. Appreciate the call. Yeah, thanks for calling me, man. Yep. Awesome. We'll talk to you soon. See you. All right. Late. Later. Yeah, always good to hear from Jared. I, I'm just a big fan of his. I know we're competitors in the little race we like to call the stampede but we sure do have a lot of fun traveling all over the country lately and it's always nice to uh share a few stories we tend to talk on the phone probably once or twice a month and it's usually quite complicated stoichiometry questions engine questions motorcycle building welding on questions we have a good time speaking of i mean jerry seemed like a cool guy but i did have a couple of questions since i i wasn't able to interrupt you were on the phone and everything shoot amigo yeah, I think it'd be kind of weird if just some random guy in the back, <laughs> in the back of the room, you know, you just hear this echoey voice on the phone. Jared's like, "Who's that guy yelling over there?" Right. Anyways, so I know what a car carburetor is, but what is the difference between a motorcycle carburetor and a car carburetor? Well, there, yeah, no, there's no difference. I mean, they do the same. They provide atomization for the engine, i.e., gasoline and air, somewhere around preferably 14.7 parts air to one part gasoline but that's a whole other story but no they they do exactly the same a lot of times on motorcycles there could be multiple carburetors like one carburetor per cylinder um but no same same difference they rock it thanks for asking good question yeah we'll get real complicated if you let us well you know here in carburetor on a motorcycle i i just wanted to be like well why don't they call it a motorator it's not a carburetor why isn't it on motorator anyways so um another question i had you you mentioned motorcycle camping now when you say motorcycle camping i imagine like somebody with a backpacking kind of you know setup trying to ride a motorcycle you know this big like 50 liter bag on their back or or even like the hobo camping where they got the rod with you know the little handkerchief with like some clothes on it like how exactly do you do uh motorcycle camping well, it's pretty easy. We show up to a lot of these events, and they offer free camping. And I've noticed a lot of people show up in their cars, and maybe they trailer a motorcycle and stuff. But it's no big deal for us to throw a tent on the back. Um, I know some of us use similar things, you know, uh, backpacking, hiking-type camping. But as we were talking about, you know, it's real easy to have a four- or six-person tent versus a smaller two-person tent. 
that way when it rains we got somewhere to put all our stuff um do you bring like a small camp cooker like one of those little butane things or do you just like like do uh already prepared meals no I, i i do have some small cookers and i have done that but you know nine times out of ten you're near somewhere that serves coffee uh serves food uh as long as you keep a little uh convenience store you know trail mix or beef jerky with you you're you're gonna be okay you're gonna go somewhere that has food and i only need to eat once or twice a day anyways i mean look at me i can live for two weeks off of this mass but i uh have a good time just kind of winging it you just kind of wing it and have a good time i know a lot of people worry about food and what they're gonna eat but we don't we'll all jump on our scoots and go find somewhere to eat and find some coffee to drink whatever you got to avoid the tourist traps, though. I, I remember oh, driving yeah. through Cambria, and, you know, you stop there because it's the only place, like, two hours in each direction, and mm. you got to pay an arm and a leg just to sit down for dinner. Yeah, we'd probably jump on our motorcycles and ride another three hours and then eat then or hit up a convenience store. And... Hit up a convenience store. What if you hit a deer or, like, some roadkill? Do you just cook that, that up? That would be yummy. Yeah. We have had We have friends who have hit deers on motorcycles, and it's... I think food's the last thing on your mind after you hit a deer. <laughs> uh, Jer mentioned our buddy Velarde, Velarde's scoot that he cruises around on. We call the deer slayer. He's hit uh, two deer with that scoot and a car and a tree that Dude. we know of. Yeah, it's I pretty, would put the antlers yeah. on the front of my bike if I was a deer slayer. Yeah. Kind of uh, like the bullhorns on the front of the uh, the Cadillac in Dukes of right, Hazard. Dukes of, right. Yeah, no, it, uh, it, it, uh, he's able to walk away from him. I think one time he really hurt his leg, but that's his story to tell. I'll let him tell it sometime. Yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, as we mentioned before, this uh, Ride 1K in a Day. You ride tell us 1K a little bit about that? Day. 1K a Day, right? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, the gentleman who puts it on, his name's Curtis Morgan. Uh, I'm a big fan of his and what he does. Just another good outlet for racing, and it's pretty simple. It's challenging yourself to lay down 1,000 miles in one day, which is actually quite a lot, depending on where you live topographically. If you're going uphill, downhill, mountainside, if you're in the middle of Minnesota and there's a small town every 30 miles on the 220, it, it can add up real quick. So it's real nice to um, lay down 1,000 miles in a day, and he does it that every year uh there's uh, new patches that you get and most people do it every year how can i do a thousand miles a day every year but some people just do it once which is awesome uh i'll get a little personal and tell you the story that uh a few weeks before my pops passed a while back uh i had mentioned it to my dad like hey dad this guy puts this on and you can ride a thousand miles in a day and you get a certificate and the patch and, and everything else but it really is about the self-challenge of it uh, the same reason us crazy people would race something like the stampede and my pop's reaction to it was you know that that sounds tangible because i was always happy to tell my dad hey let's throw together a freaking chop for you and you can race the stampede and he's like fuck that you guys are crazy i'm not riding that i'm not doing that but i'll you know see you off at the starting line and uh so my dad was always there for the starts and whatnot but uh i mentioned this to him it sounded real tangible and that's the benefit of this rad one k in a day it really is tangible for everybody even my pops and um unfortunately my pops passed away before he could ever do that and so uh a year after my pops passed away i uh 
gathered up his ashes uh, that were in a box, and I put them in a bag, and I put them in his saddlebag on the back of his big uh, old man uh, Honda, and uh, did a thousand miles in a day. And uh, Curtis Morgan, who puts on the Ride One Can today, was happy to uh, give the certificate to my pops because he uh, cruised it uh, in his saddlebag. And I took him up to our, uh, I took my dad up to our family plot up there in Aberdeen, South Dakota, and buried him in a saddlebag. So if you ever see his Honda out on the road with me astride it, you'll notice there's only one saddlebag on the poor machine. So I'm a big fan of uh, Ride One Can a day, and I've got a lot of friends who uh, do that. And some people, they might only do 100 miles in a day now, and then they work themselves up to 300 miles, and then 500 miles. And if you can do 500 miles in a day, doing 1,000 miles in a day is not that much farther of a stretch. So um, it's kind of like a motorcycle marathon. You get certified, oh yeah. you get the bragging rights, you get the patches, and Big you're time. you're in a really cool small club, I guess you would say. Yeah, there's most definitely bitches and glory in it for most people. Bitches and glory and, and clubs. You know what? That just gave me a really good business idea. Do share. Okay, so this ride one can a day made me start thinking about you know the mile high club mm. what if we came up with a business where we certify people who are in the mile high club and we just make money off of people who are getting laid in the sky <laughs> it sounds like an easy thing to do and this we get money for it content well and that's the funny part curtis doesn't charge anything for this oh yeah this is uh terribly free i know at the end of it all you're welcome to give him a donation and he gives you the account to do that in which is always great but um, at the end of the day, it's about challenging yourself to ride a thousand miles in a day. So I'm real excited to uh, put out what he's doing and the awesomeness he's doing, similar to what we're doing. It's all free. Uh, he does have shirts and hats, and I know soon he's building an app he was telling me about. So it's just going to be on the app. Oh, that's cool. So yeah, the app will be on your phone. You can follow. I'm not exactly sure how it all works, but I'm, it's, I'm really excited. I imagine it's going to be like a map where you can see where you've been. And mm -hmm. in that case, you're going to have a lot of people doing these thousand mile penis symbols on their map. Wow, I never would have thought of that. Oh, people in San Francisco do it all the time on their on their yeah, bikes. Yeah, luckily we're in Southern California, <laughs> where we don't not do that. The shit. city. Uh, right. Yeah, that's a good question. So ride one k in a day. <laughs> ride one k in a day. I love it. You're cracking me up, Brian. <laughs> if you hear anything about somebody certifying you in the Mile High Club and you're paying for it, that is prostitution. So avoid it. We've learned that today. Avoid it greatly. Yeah, don't want to do that. But sky where marshals will come after you. We're excited. Curtis is excited about what we're doing and uh, with the book and the podcast, and I'm pretty excited about what he's doing. So he's going to be doing his monthly raffle as well uh, that he normally does, and in his monthly raffle where he gives away all sorts of boy gift certificates and other exciting things, that's going to also be including a signed copy of the book, American Roadrunner. So cool. Happy to be on board. Well, speaking of, again, this is the American Roadrunner podcast. Make sure you pick up the book, American Roadrunner, uh, by Bob Marshall. You can also email us at American Roadrunner the book at gmail.com. Again, that's American Roadrunner the book, all one word. Uh, also, Instagram, American Roadrunner, and Facebook. You can find us at American Roadrunner the book. Um, don't forget to subscribe, comment, and share. We love to hear your support. We love to hear your thoughts, and we'd Amen. love to get more listeners if you'd be willing to uh, pass us along. Well, and also more writers. You know, we are all about sharing stories. 
So anyone or their mother is happy to share a written story, and I'm happy to edit it and put it up on the website. Heck yeah. And it goes right up there with the open mic bike night that we have the last Thursday of every month uh, at the hideaway here in downtown Riverside. It's 7 to 9. Cruise on out and share a story. Uh, enjoy other people sharing stories on the road. Usually it's just women who ride that show up, but we still have a really good time. So I'm always excited to host that event. We've been doing that six or seven months now, open mic back night, but you'll find it on social media. I think the coolest thing anybody could do after listening to this podcast is to do the ride one cane a day from somewhere like Amen. Kansas, come to the open mic bike night, tell talking. their story, and then we publish it on the website. Yeah, yeah, I got a good friend in Kansas actually. Her name's Judy Kleinsmith. I'm going to have to talk her into that. That'd Please be a do. good one. Yeah. That'd be I talked to her today. Our intro music. Just a quick story about it. In case you haven't heard, intro music is by the band Mech, including players Tazamora on vocals, bass, keys and guitar, Joe Hill on guitar and Dan Hill on drums. Uh Tazamora and I go way back. We uh, went to high school together, sang in uh, high school choirs together, and uh, we've gotten to have a good time solving life's problems throughout the years. Uh, he is uh, a rock and roll star in my eyes, which was cool as a kid. We all wanted to be rock stars, and God damn it, Ty went off and did it. So we're all pretty proud of him. He uh, bass player for the band Alien Ant Farm, one of the founding members of that. And uh, lately, he's been rocking all sorts of cool stuff. So it's great to have Tazamora's music on the podcast because I'm a big fan of his and all he does. And uh, Joe and Dan Hill are local Riversideers here. I've gotten to meet a few times. They're really good people. So when I was a kid, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure showed me that it's okay to have futuristic music. And then as the future came, I realized there is no futuristic music. But then the band Mech came out with their album Red Sprite Lightning. Enjoy their music, my fellows. You know what? If I can just mention real quick, looking at the band name on the CD, it is spelled M-E-K, but it's got a line above the E, so it might be pronounced Meek. We might have to follow up with him. And Holy heck. Out. I've never put the two together. Yeah, it could be Mech or Meek. Not sure, so we're going to say both It's probably right now. Meek. Yeah. Regardless, I love playing the stuff. Meek or Mech. I'll give him a call. Red Sprite Lightning is the album. The song is the first in the album. It's entitled, Here We Are. Enjoy. Enjoy, and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.